that Steph Orton's got her hands on that trophy. Second season running, that she's done so in the colours of Manchester City. Oh, lovely footwork there from Weah! A special goal in a special game from Caroline Weah. That is world class. That is outstanding. A worldie from Weah. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of MCW Fancast. I'm Emma, thanks for listening. On this week's show, we're pleased to welcome back editor Dan Pentland from the FAWSL full-time magazine back to the podcast. He joined us at the start of the season back in September and uh, we're going to take some time to reflect on City's season so far as we head into another international break. I'm Lauren Hemp and you're listening to MCW Fancast. Dan, always a pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not bad. Thanks, Emma. Thanks very much for having us on as always. Yeah. (laughs) Would you believe that it was September, I think, the last time we spoke and so much time has passed and so much optimism has been lost in this space of time um let's just talk about Villa first obviously you were at the game on Saturday uh what did you make of City's performance um I think it didn't need to be pretty um first half it certainly wasn't pretty second half as the space opened up um the chances begin to flow um they obviously got the goals at that point um yeah I think the getting the first goal was important I think it brought confidence back um, obviously the result's crucial as well. Who knows what would have happened if that wasn't a win for City at the weekend. Um, but hopefully looking at the fixtures now as well, they can try and kick on and kind of put this to bed before Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's one win, one win that we were really looking for that we so desperately needed. And it has helped bridge the gap a little bit in terms of the table standings. Um, but Villa, credit to Villa for the first half performance. They were so well organised um, and so difficult to break down. And it almost felt like a game of chess at times. You know what I mean? Where you were just, you were just kind of looking for someone to make a, make a mistake for us to capitalise on. But they were just so well organised, so tight, so compact and really made it difficult for City. Yeah, I mean, they've had a bit of practice with this Villa, I think, against Arsenal and against Chelsea. They'd played in a similar way. They played with a 5-4-1. Um, obviously not showing a lot of attacking ambition in the game. It's been all about learning how to play and stop the up- a higher higher level opponent playing against them, I suppose. Um, we saw that for the first half. I think they had a plan to put Zelnik on when she was fit enough to come on. Obviously, she's just coming back from injury. They didn't get that far because obviously they gave Carolyn Weir a lot of space for that goal, which obviously threw the the game plan out the window for them. Um, I think if there was a criticism of City first half, it was they were too predictable in the attack. They were always looking to go around the back, you know, down down the wings. And when they've got three centre halves, it's always going to be difficult to, you know, to put the ball in and get an end result. Um, but yeah, I mean, Carolyn got the space. Credit to her to get the goal. And uh, from there, it was a case of City turned up and Villa probably crumbled a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that that first goal was pivotal. And then it was a, another goal from Stanway, pretty much quick succession as well. But I think, like you said, City seemed to have more joy in the middle of the park than they did 
like you said, sort of utilising the wings that we've probably seen City do so well at times. Not all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, going into that, uh, going into the second half, you were, you know, you were kind of thinking City are in trouble here, nil nil. They didn't really create a lot of great opportunities in the first half. As I say, it was predictable. You were kind of thinking, where is it going to come from? And all of a sudden, I don't know how she got the space, but Caroline, where you seem to have so much space to be able to pick out the far corner. Um, but it seemed to turn, to be fair to City and to be fair to Gareth Taylor, it turned after that first goal. Um, you know, you saw, for example, obviously Hannah Hampton's error for the third goal was a bit of luck that City were well overdue. Um, I think, was it the last goal which hit the bar and came back and I think it was Rasso put it in. Um, you know, again, City probably weren't getting that bounce to the ball a couple of weeks ago or in some of the, you know, the games that they've lost at home. So, you know, it feels like it, it's a turn. It's not, you know, the problem's not solved, but it was a big win. And with Birmingham and Reading up next, you know, it can they can push on for third again, I suppose. Yeah, you can't you kind of get a win like that, though, and it's almost as if the international break comes at just the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in every sense of the word, I'm sure Gareth Taylor doesn't want players going away on interna- international duty and coming back with yet more knocks. At the end of it, um, I think they're pretty much just got to get to January now and obviously get some players back as well. But yeah, it's it's a funny one, really. I've been looking around December and obviously the fixtures are a little bit inconsistent. I think, you know, they have a County Cup game and a couple of league games. They're not particularly well balanced in terms of the scheduling. And then, you know, a couple of weeks off for Christmas. So it's not great for building momentum at this stage of the season. But yeah, I, I, I really Saturday was all about the result. They got the result. The performance turned up in the second half and, um, you know, I suppose it's just making sure they've got, hopefully get everybody fit or as many players as they can get fit after the break and, um, you know, kick on with those two crucial games. Yeah, I mean, it, it also feels that there's an element of, of City looking for that consistency that we've really not seen this season so far. Obviously, in terms of Lulls, we've had a few, um, I think, that have impacted sort of the performances as the season's gone on so far. And um, we're now looking, obviously, to pick that momentum up, like you said. But I think consistency is key as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the, the fixtures offer that opportunity for consistency. You know, it's not as if you're going to be going to play a Manchester United or a, a Chelsea or an Arsenal or you know, anybody of that mould, you know, in the next couple of months now, you can kind of just head down what went right at the weekend, what can you build on? Um, and, you know, against Birmingham, no disrespect to Birmingham, but you should get chances there. And same against Reading, they're a little bit inconsistent. They're probably better on their own patch than, you know, at the Academy Stadium. Um, so, you know, it is about consistency. Um, we know there's been a variety of issues which have contributed to the problems they've had this season. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just really about hitting Christmas running, I think. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> just another point on Villa. Um, at, at the break, obviously, if you're a Villa heading into the break at halftime, you'd be quite happy, obviously, you know, level peggings, you know. Did you ever feel that they could probably see it out for 90 minutes or do you think it was just sort of beyond Villa a little bit? Um, I did. I, th- I thought they had City on the ropes, to be honest. Um, you know, as I say, I don't think they created an, an awful lot in the first half, City. And, um, you know, you did wonder where the goal was going to come from. And the longer it was going to go on at nil-nil, you kind of thought, you know, a City going to get more and more desperate? Are they going to kind of hit more and more brick walls like they did in the first half? 
Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what it, it, it was with Villa, you know, from a defensive point of view, Carlo Ward was absolutely furious with the second half. Um, and, you know, three minutes into the second half, they went from being so tight to so loose. Um, so, you know, if, I think Villa could have got it right, but for whatever reason, after half time, it just seemed to not just just crumble away, really. Yeah. And and obviously you were kind of involved with the Pulse match. Um, you know, what kind of uh, impression did you get off Gareth? Yeah, I mean, I, st- I still kind of believe that Gareth Taylor can turn it around without a doubt. I think, obviously, you know, he'll probably criticise himself behind closed doors, but, you know, he's, he's not going to say that in front of the players or in front of the press, no way. But, um, you know, he's upbeat. Um, I think, you know, he's still head down looking at the job. He's trying to not get deterred by anything else. Obviously, there's been lots going on and, you know, he's just wanting to get on, on with the job. Um, you know, he loves the club. He's part of the club. He's part of the history, you know, part of the success certainly the men's side as well. Um, so, you know, I think he's, he's still very much got a purpose at the club. I think, you know, he's got, as I say, he's got the club's best interests at heart. Um, and, you know, there's no reason, I don't think, why he can't kick on and, you know, hopefully have a more successful 2022. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so let's go back to the start then, because September... Me and you, you know, we had a chat, we had a, a really good discussion on how we thought City season might play out in terms of what City looked to be competing for, how they wanted to succeed in Europe. And obviously that didn't come to fruition. Uh, a big disappointment disappointment for the club. Um, you know, we were, we were thinking title contenders and, you know, we've had such an up and down season so far and we're not even halfway through really in reality. Um, how would you summarise City's season and, and what have you made of it? I think first you've got to look at what's gone wrong. To get better, you've got to look at what's gone wrong and what can you improve. Um, I mean, we we said it at the, you know in September when we last chatted that they looked a little bit light in the defensive or defensive midfield areas. That was without the injuries at that time. Um, so recruitment, you know, you can probably say if they had that opportunity again, would they have brought in another more, uh, you know, one or two more players in the summer, um, you know, if the budget allows, don't know what the budget is, but if there was money there to do it, then, you know, I think that would have been a, a good thing to do, particularly with obviously Gemma Bonner moving over in April to America and obviously Dal Kemper going kind of at the last minute as well. Um, so I think recruitment was an issue. I think uh, obviously the injuries and no, it's, it's, it's harsh on City as well, because obviously the scheduling of, of the league, um, you know, one month after the Olympics end, all of a sudden you're finding league football. Um, you can say about the lack of pre-season preparation, is that the head coach's fault? Is that just the way it is? And you couldn't fit in pre-season games against, you know, what's seen as, um, I suppose, favourable opposition, if you like, or opposition which City are going to learn something from playing in pre-season. Um and, you know, obviously the early start of the Champions League as well probably didn't help with those kind of tired legs and can be accountable for injuries. Um, tactics might come into it a little bit. Um, you know, I think Bunny Shaw probably didn't play early on as much as she could have played. There might have been reasons behind that, I don't know. But, um, you know, and obviously a bit of bad luck. You look at that Spurs game, you know, that was that the first home game with that dodgy winning goal and you know it just went from downhill from there I suppose yeah um 
It did certainly feel like that. I mean, I, I don't really want to say that the Real Madrid game played as big a part as the lack of preseason. I think that is what really cost us the fact that we didn't have the opportunities to to try things out, to bed in players, to have like like you said, like people like Bunny coming in that um, that are transitioning from obviously playing in France to playing in the, the WSL and you know changing environment. Um, just limited lack of time, um, I think, has played a really big part as well. And, um, you know, once we got that win at Everton, I mean, that was such a, a you know, a great win to, to really kick on the, the season as well. And, you know, com- I think the confident was, confidence was high, you know, especially throughout the fans as well, to get a result like that against Everton, considering that obviously they had a big summer as well. And they, we weren't too sure who we were going to be up against with that Everton side. Yeah, I mean, you can possibly look at Everton and kind of look at the same kind of thing. As you say, they had a big summer in terms of recruitment. Again, with Olympics and stuff, I think obviously the um, the Swedish players will have been at the Olympics. They've, um, you know, they've got a lot of international players at Everton like they do at City. And, you know, again, from a preparation point of view and so many changes coming into that team probably made it an even more difficult situation at the time as what City had. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was a great start for City against a, a transitioning opponent. Um, uh, but, you know, from there, I just I just don't know what happened. Obviously, the injuries seemed to come in and what started with something like five or six at Everton soon turned into seven or eight or nine. I think nine might be the biggest number they've had out this year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's difficult. Um, I mean, the goalkeeper, obviously, you know, you lose one goalkeeper and then you lose another one and you're down to your third choice. I mean, if Ellie Roebuck was in goal or even Karen Bardsley, would you have the situation that you have now? Um, you know, they maybe handle the pressure a little bit better than, you know, what Kareem has done. Um, you know, she's probably had to have some real broad shoulders, I suppose, to get through the last few weeks. Yeah, it has been quite difficult. And I think credit to her, though, because it's been a big ask, really, of her to come in and to perform. You know, she's played every game start of the season you know if you look at it that way uh, and I think she's probably the one of the the only players to really do that as well um, she's literally been called upon um, and she's had excellent moments you know you can, some some moments in the games where you can't overlook but it's just a shame that obviously you know you have to concentrate on the the bad ones where it sort of goes wrong but um, like you said there's no balance at the moment so it, it kind of it kind of doesn't do her any kind of justice, really, I suppose, if you look at it that way. No, I mean, she started very well. She started the season very well when she when she was kind of thrown into a bit of a baptism of fire at the start. Um, and obviously, as the performances have maybe dipped, she's obviously bared the brunt of it a little bit. Um, I mean, you've got to think when she came in and she signed a contract, you know, a year ago, a couple of seasons ago, um, you know, what was sold to her probably that she was going to, you know, put a little bit of pressure on Karen and Ellie. She might play in a dead rubber game at the end of the season. She might play in a Continental League Cup game. Um, you know, she might play against a, a weak opponent in the Champions League. Um, you know, and that might be as far as it gets. You know, I, I don't think at any point she ever thought she would be playing 10, 12 games on the bounce as a first-choice goalkeeper. Um, and to be fair, I think the club she's played for previously 
she's probably done a similar thing as well. I think did she play for Lyon or PSG in France? And I'd imagine that she's she was a backup there, but she wasn't playing regular football. So I think it's been difficult for her because you know she's had to step in and it's kind of not been what's on the brief. She's done her best, but you know ultimately she's kind of had to do a job that she maybe wasn't brought in to do. Um, so it's been very very tough for her. She's almost waited a long time as well for a moment, you know, because she has been with us quite a few number of seasons as well. Yeah, I mean, this is it. When you're third choice goalkeeper, um, you kind of think, you know, how much are you going to have to do, I suppose? You know, you've got to train every day. You've got to keep on top of your game every day. Um, you know, you've got to work with the other goalkeepers, but you know, you, you surely she's probably never ever dreamt of be, of coming in at City, which you know by her standards as well as coming into a big club, um, you know playing in one of the best leagues in Europe, if not in the world, and um, you know playing week in week out, it was something which which you know I can guarantee was probably never at the front of her mind, particularly when you're looking at Ellie Roebuck in training every day, um, so yeah, she's had to wait an awful long time for it, and um, I think. To be honest, I think she just it would be great to get a goalkeeper fit and just get give her a bit of a rest and you know pull her out of the limelight a little bit because um you know it's been life's been pretty wicked to her, I think, in the last few months. Yeah, it, it really has, especially over recent games. And I think, like you said, I think when mistakes are made, they're kind of magnified, aren't they? When you know you're losing the games essentially and it's it's costing you the game. Um and it, it is just sort of football, isn't it? It's the way we go. You know, we criticise players when they make mistakes, but, you know, equally, you know, the pressure of obviously coming in, doing a job, which, you know, can be can be said for some of the other players as well. If you if you look at, you know, the likes of Laura Coons, perhaps, that, you know, again, been with us a while, but is not playing sort of week in, week out, but she's really got a part to play at the moment and she's playing that well. You know, Alex Greenwood, she really, st- I mean, Alex Greenwood for me has been consistently excellent since she's joined City. But this season, she's really shone um, in terms of that sort of leadership, that communication, and sort of trying to hold that back, back line at the moment that is, you know, really struggling at the moment. You know, um, you know, there are quite a few players that are really stepping up. I mean, Philippa Angledow, she's obviously um, come into the squad as well. And I think for the moment she's played, she's played well. Lasada, you know, so those sort of players that are coming into the squad that, you know, wouldn't, would sort of sort of be in, eased into it, if you like, have come in and, and played well. You know, Rasso again the other night really came up, came on super sub, impacted the game as soon as she came on the pitch. And, you know, that's what you like to see as well. So, Despite everything that's going on, there is also a lot of positive sort of underneath. Yeah, I mean, people like Jess Park as well. I mean, young players who were coming in, you know, I thought she was, I know she played an hour or so on Saturday, but it felt like, you know, she'd really grown from the last time I'd watched her live. Um, You know, so I suppose, yeah, the benefit of it is you've got players who are getting game time who maybe wouldn't have got as much game time previously. Um. You know, I think, as you say with Greenwood, it's been a massive ask for her to almost marshal the defence, you know, single-handedly as a centre-back. Um, but she's done outstandingly well. Um, midfield, I think, I mean, last year City were absolutely phenomenal in midfield. You know, when you had players like Mewis and 
obviously Carolyn Wee has been fit, but she's had her, her injuries as well this year. Um, but, you know, the midfield was almost, if you think Rose Lavelle couldn't get into midfield at times last year. Um, so, you know, that was that was a, a, it kind of shows you how strong they were in that position. And, you know, to be having to juggle players around and playing kind of, you know, backup players, if you like, or giving first team players more minutes this year shows kind of how down the bare bones they've been, I suppose. Um, but, you know, everybody's done what they could do. Um, you know, obviously we know there's nine players or however many are out who could come in and, you know, some of them could do a better job or some of them could make a great contribution to the team. Um, but, you know, you've got to give him some credit. It's been kind of incredibly tough. Um, but, you know, they just keep plugging away and, you know, they've had the good results, they've had the bad results. Um, I mean, you mentioned, mentioned Rasho, uh, Russell there as well. Obviously, she came to England during covid she didn't play because of um, an injury and then obviously COVID struck short. So I don't think she played for six months and then a bit of a stop start year with Everton last year. And then to come back in, you know, and have a good impact at the, at the weekends and other positives. So yeah, there are positives. It just feels like, you know, when results aren't going your, your way that, um, you know, it feels a little bit darker than maybe the full picture is. Definitely. And while we were talking about the midfield, Matt has sent a question in. And on current form, he'd like to know who you think our best midfielder is at the moment. Best midfielder or midfield? No, best midfield combination at the moment. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean obviously, <laughs> you'd, have, you'd, have, one, you'd have weird. You'd have um, Carolyn Weir in there every time, wouldn't you? But... Um, yeah, I mean, after that, it's tough. Laura Coombs, I think, is solid. Um, they are as solid as you can certainly get in the, the current situation. And she seems to be able to raise a game when she gets that opportunity. Um, Angle Dahl, I haven't seen enough of her, I don't think, in terms of to say what she's bringing to the team or what she can bring to the team. Um, obviously, Gareth's brought her in for a reason, so it'd be good to see what she can do over the full season. Um, but, yeah, I think it'd have to be them two at the minute. Um, just based on form, um, but uh, yeah, again, again, um, depending on fitness and bodies in January, whether you go and get another midfield player, um, obviously you kind of thought that Kennedy might be might fill that gap, but um, you know either she's been on the bench or I think she's been used in defence a little bit this year as well. Yeah, it's it's a, I've seen Alana having a bit of one on one in the in the pre match. Um, so I, I'm not too sure what the situation is there at the moment. Um, but it, again, it just goes back to that sort of argument. You've got sort of two players there, central defensive midfield, uh, central defensive players there, sorry, that are sat on the bench and, and we're looking to fill those positions. What is it about those players that Gareth isn't seeing as, um, you know, for him to sort of turn to those players and say, I want you in that squad, I want you in that starting eleven. Yeah, I think Alan is actually going through not a per not a personal issue at the minute, but I think maybe a slight confidence issue. I know that when she's been playing for Australia, um, I know that the head coach recently said that um, you know, she maybe doubted herself or didn't think that she was playing at the best that she could be playing at the minute. Um, so, you know, I think there's probably a bit of development, you know, potentially settling in at City a little bit with her, but that might explain one of the reasons why she's maybe not starting as many games 
as she should be. Um, obviously, Ruby Mace as well is another one who could play in midfield if you really wanted her to. Um, I know people have different different opinions on whether she should be starting more games or not. Um, again, she's a young player. If you put a young player in and it doesn't work out or, you know, if, if it's a kind of tough moment, you don't know what kind of impact that's going to have over the long term. So, you know, again, there's an argument for why she's maybe not starting the game compared to, you know, the argument for us at starting more games, certainly at centre-back as well. Um, but um, yeah, I'm sure there are reasons for some players and why they're not playing or why they're, why they're not playing as many minutes. Um, but I'm sure that over time they'll get ironed out. Yeah. And in terms of obviously looking at the squad, you know, when we get these starting 11s and, you know, we've spoke about how the players that are within this squad at the moment are more than capable of getting the results, um, you know, they're, they're credible players um, with enough experience to be able to go out and get results. Do you look at it as a tactical kind of issue yourself, Dan, or do you think there should be a little bit more put, put upon the players in terms of Gareth asking a little bit more and perhaps they're not delivering what he's asking for? Yeah, I think the, you can look at it on both sides. I think you've got to look at that thing that the club's in a hole or has been in a hole everybody's accountable for it, management players, you know, the people off the pitch who do, you know, all, all the work around, you know, behind the scenes that we never see. Um, the players should take some of the blame, I think. Um, you know, obviously they're all talented players and maybe one or two haven't performed as well as they maybe would have liked to, um, you know, such as the goal scoring positions, you know, maybe you would like to score more goals. We know that defence has been an issue, although there's been... You know, you've been down to second and third choice in some positions. Um, so yeah, I think personnel is an issue, but or has been an issue. Um, I think Gareth's got one a kind of way that he wants to play, which we know is very possession-based. Um, it's difficult to play possession-based if you're trying to make a breakthrough in a game and nothing's going your way. Um, so there's probably an argument there again. Could the could the system change? Could you know the mentality? change um you know the game plan um because you know i, I mean some games have had kind of what 60 70 percent possession um but i suppose it's what you do in the final third that matters and you know if it's not going for you or if you're playing a, a, an uphill battle it's difficult to then keep on creating and creating good quality chances which is you know one of the problems that they've had at times mm. um one of the players that has Sean, for me this season, again, is Lauren Hemp. Um, she was rewarded uh, Rising Star at the Northwest Football Awards the other night as well, um, along with Chloe Kelly, who was recognised as Player of the Year, which is really pleasing, um, you know, from, from the news this week coming out of the club. Um, can she, you just can't overlook her. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's, she's putting a case forward for herself once again as, as that Rising Star, that player of the young, young Player of the Year, um she's just unbelievable and you know she's always looking um she's so creative she's so their space pace is unbelievable um again i think she had a really good uh, performance against villa the other day um she's performing week in week out um how please i mean it's pleasing for us as city fans but as a sort of a neutral how much of a joy is she to watch for you yeah, I think she's a really exciting player. I think she's probably been the best of the forwards, actually. 
Um, you know, if, if anything, she creates a lot, not only for in terms of her own chances, but for her teammates as well. And if there's any criticism, obviously some of the chances she's created probably haven't been converted. Um, we still don't know how on earth she hasn't scored for England yet. I think obviously Beth England nicked that last um, potential goal against Northern Ireland. Hopefully she'll get one this time round. But um, yeah, I think going into a World Cup and obviously... <laughs> Um, going into a uh, into a Euros, sorry, um, you know, home Euros with an exciting player like Hemp um, has got to be a real positive for England as well as Manchester City. Um, and you know, if if we can get players fit around her, you know, in, in the Manchester City side again, I'm sure that um, her impact will be even greater on the team. It it frightens me the type of player that Lauren Hemp can become. I think she can be one of the most outstanding talents to come out of this country. Um, when you're looking at, um, you know, women's football on a global sort of scale, um, her ability is amazing. And I think she, she'll just continue to develop and grow and go from strength to strength and, and perhaps come one of the best players in the world. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think obviously she comes from Norfolk area as well. And I don't think um, in terms of quality internationals and looking at the England team, I think she's probably the one off that most of them don't come from, you know, loads come from the northeast, and, you know, they seem to be come from areas quite close together, a lot of the squad. But yeah, she's kind of out there from East Anglia on her own. And, um, you know, she's, she's not, she's, um, She's just fantastic, really. When you think of her age, she's only what 21, 22. Um, I think I watched her a couple of years back in the at, at the under 20 World Cup, it might be in 2018. She scored a hat trick. Um, yeah, and the one uh, when she scored with a bum, yeah, that, yeah, that's the one. But, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, back then, I think she'd only just um joined City that summer, and you kind of thought already that you know, this girl looks like she can play, um, but. In, in terms of what she's done in the three years that have followed is like, you know, she's completely, um, you know, she's completely kicked on for me. Um, she's a completely different talent to what she was then. And she was good then. Um, so, you know, another three years on, um, you know, you're looking at the World Cup or, you know, the the, the next Euros, um, you know, it, it's frightening where she could be. Yeah, it definitely, definitely. I've just enjoyed her. It, despite everything that's been going on, Lauren Hemp is the one thing I really look forward to seeing week in, week out. Uh, I just think she's an unbelievable talent and I'm so pleased uh, that she got recognised at the Northwest Football Awards this week. So, yeah, really, really good that. Um, we've also had um, a message from Jude and uh, Jude says, do you feel that City have overachieved following the rebrand, which has possibly led to supporters having a higher level of expectation for City to perform uh, without taking into consideration the volume of injuries uh, that we've seen this season so far. Yeah, it's difficult. I suppose when you've been on the journey City have been on over the last, I mean, from probably 2016 onwards, um, you know, and it's the same, you, you probably kind of, without touching on them too much, you probably think about it a little bit with Man United in the men's game as well, when you've kind of had that success and it doesn't go your way, um, you know, it must be really hard to kind of watch the club, you know, maybe not compete the same level or not compete in the same competitions or not reach the same number of finals. Um, 
you know, I think, I mean, if you look at last season, it wasn't particularly an unsuccessful season. I mean, they took Chelsea to the final day in the league. Um, they obviously won the FA Cup. Um, I think they did okay in the Conti Cup and the Champions League was quarterfinals, wasn't it, I think? Um, so, you know, in terms of a, being a successful team, I would say that's, you know, a decent level of success if you look at it overall. Um, but, um, yeah, I can understand why fans are, you know, at, at times a little bit impatient or, you know, wanting more from the team because obviously, you know, they've, they've been in that position. I mean, they were what Champions League semi-finalists a couple of years on the spin, weren't they, as well? Um, so, you know, yeah, I think it, it might be a thing of, of, of the overachieved, possibly not. They've, they've maybe achieved with the quality of the squad they had back then. And they've got a lot of young players as well at the minute. That's something to remember. You know, we've said it like the likes of Hemp and Roebuck and, you know, they're getting to grips with, um, you know, playing in a, a, a more competitive league, European competition, Um you know, so I, th- I think City, the good days will come back for City without a doubt. But, you know, I think it's just patience. And I think the, you know, squad depth is one for me. I think if, if they can afford to do it, you know, having a bit bigger squad with a bit more quality in there um, certainly wouldn't go miss. Yeah. And obviously, with Gareth talking about the return of players, you know, we're probably looking like um, into the new year now. Um, do you think that that all, put sort of a stop to Gareth thinking that he needs to be going out looking for that depth, knowing that he's, he's perhaps got players available to him on the way back into the squad? Or do you think do you think it's still important that Gareth goes out to look to, to obviously fill some of the gaps within the squad? Yeah, I think you've always got to look. I think you've always got to look, even if it's only two or three new faces. I think, um, you know, you want fresh faces when you think of what the club's been going through in the last kind of three or four months. How nice would it be in January to put a couple of new faces who haven't been through the same thing, you know, just to freshen things up, put a new kind of mindset into things. Um, we said even before the injuries, as I say, they were a bit short, certainly in defensive mi- midfield or um, in the centre-back position. So I'd, I'd definitely look for another player who can either play in both of those roles or one of those roles. Um and, you know, I suppose you want to keep players on the toes as well. Um, you know, presumably there's still some players who aren't going to be back in the new year. You're still going to be dealing with a smaller squad. Um, but, you know, you've got to look. It depends on the club's ambitions as well. If you're looking at what Arsenal are doing and particularly what Chelsea are doing, you know, they've got quality and, you know, they've got one backup, two backups in some positions. And they're all of a very, very high standard. Um, I suppose that's that's probably where City, certainly City fans, would like the team to go in the future. But obviously that costs money. Um, but um, yeah, I think definitely go in the transfer market. Um, I think every club will, to be honest. I think it's something, you know, with the TV money and stuff now, I think there will be finances available. Um, and, you know, obviously clubs also look kind of two or three windows ahead these days as well. Um, but I think it's just learning from what happened in the summer in terms of recruitment and just making sure that they're happy with the number of players and the you know the positions, the quality of players that they're bringing in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I totally agree with that. I would expect him to be going out and, and looking and trying to sort of get some of that depth in. I think we've seen that the importance of getting players in earlier to allow them that time to transition rather than being thrown into the deep end you know because we've seen that that 
essentially doesn't work you know you need to have that time and you can't always expect a sort of player to adapt um to new environments or transitions in you know difference of leagues if if that's sort of what's coming into it kind of thing so yeah I, I would hope that you know come the the winter window that we are looking to sort of um add a little bit more depth uh, and allow those players time to sort of settle in and and lots of start again strongly next season I think um in terms of this season though Dan um realistically what should City be concentrating on if anything or would you expect them still to chuck everything at the domestic cups that they've got available to them yeah I think cups are important I think it, it at least gives fans something positive to kind of get take them into the summer and you know into the new season um I think the league I think you know, I don't see any reason why they couldn't get third. I think there's a lot of inconsistency. You've got the likes of Brighton and um, Spurs who were kind of transitioning into decent top half teams now. But, you know, with that, they're going to get the odd inconsistent result. Obviously, Man United and Everton aren't where they want to be at the minute. Um, and, you know, I think certainly Man United probably need transfer windows. Everton, you know, they've got, they've got a lot of work to do with their their new squad. Um, so I think it's inevitable that teams are going to drop points in the second half of the season, maybe where you don't expect it as well. Um, so, you know, I think obviously City are going to have United and Everton to play at home, I think, um, which will be, you know, kind of beneficial to them. Um, but yeah, I think if they can win these two games against Birmingham and Reading, um, hopefully they'll close the gap a little bit more. Um and you know, there's no reason why they can't get third and reach cup final. Yeah, and and looking at the the other clubs around us, um, obviously, there's been some teams that have made surprisingly strong starts. If you look at Tottenham, Brighton, um, what have you made of their starts to the season and and how they're faring this season? Surprised, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I am a little bit surprised. Um, I think Brighton have. I suppose they've had a lot of continuity with their squad. I think they only brought three players in. Um, what surprised me was was the fact that I think 10 players had gone out. So they kind of felt a little bit light on numbers for me. Um, I suppose if they've been quite good with injuries, so if they do get injuries, then you know it could be a completely different picture. Um, I think they've only, even at the minute, I think they've only got one player out. So you know you can see why they're maybe performing better than you'd maybe expect. Um, Spurs is a funny one because I wasn't quite sure with the players which were coming in just how Spurs would do. Um, but obviously they've got a, a really good coach in Rian Skinner. Um, you know, they have made some good signings and, you know, they, they seem to be very, very defensive. Um, sorry, defensively tight. Um, goals might be a problem. You know, if they concede a goal, are they going to get one back? Um, but again, because they're transitioning and they're kind of growing as a team, I'd expect that, you know, they're going to go to some teams and, you know, lose games where you maybe don't expect them to equally as we saw, you know, when they played United, for example, they can, and Arsenal, they can maybe up the game and, and get a point where you wouldn't expect. Um, but yeah, I think both those sides have done well, but whether they're still there, you know, at the end of the season, I'm not so sure. And in, in terms of that elusive top three finish, do you think it's still um, possibly achievable for City this season? Yeah, I do. I think, um, yeah, as I say, I think it's important they get six points before Christmas. 
to close the gap a little bit more. Um, they have got to get players back. Otherwise, you know, they've either got to strengthen quite significantly um, or battle on with what they've got and improve in terms of results. Um, but yeah, I think there's 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 enough to suggest that they can get results. But then equally, as I say, I think you maybe not need as many points as you did last year to go and get third this year. And that should play into City's hands, hopefully. Uh, that's the best positive spin ever. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and in terms of obviously the league this season, um, Chelsea, Arsenal, both performing well this season. Um, any thoughts as to, to who might take that title this season? Yeah, I'm looking at Chelsea. Um, I know Arsenal are there. I think the injuries are starting to mount up a little bit for Arsenal. Now it feels, obviously, Williamson's out. I think they've got four or five who were just niggly injuries at the minute, and I know they've had injuries in the past. Um, and obviously, as the longer they're going competitions, you know, the Champions League, it looks like they're going to stay in. Um, so I think that might make it a little bit more difficult for them in the second half of the season. Um, Chelsea, much bigger squad. Um probably more depth in terms of quality and, you know, quality players to come in. Um, and I think, obviously, they've got Arsenal to play at home, they've got City to play at home, they've got Man United to play at home. Um, so, you know, you've got to look at that and think, you know, the home form is pretty pretty faultless, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, I could see them pipping Arsenal to top spot. Yeah. Emma Hayes, it, it's, it's as if, like, Chelsea have become the Leon. <laughs> Leon of the WSL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's good. I think the WSL is good at the minute because I think what we're seeing is we're seeing kind of some of the managers we've got in the game are real characters. You know, we've got Emma Hayes. Um, you know, Mark Skinner's obviously a great character. Carla Ward, Jean Luc Vasseur's come in and he he's a really kind of interesting bloke. Um, you know, it's it's the people I suppose who entertain and. You know they'll they'll bring people more people to the game and you know intrigue more people about the game. Um, so know that the good people to have and obviously Hayes has done a hell of a lot for the game and you know the the English game and kind of flying the flag in Europe as well in terms of how well they've done in the Champions League in recent years. Yeah, and and from a sort of media perspective, a journalism journalism point of view. Um, obviously, the broadcasting, the media uh, that's come along with Sky Sports this season so far. What have you made of that, and 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 how much of an improvement have you seen in terms of that sort of reach uh, in terms of where the women's game is growing? Yeah, I mean the um, the viewing figures are very good. I think we've we've seen you know the the BBC live games are getting something like a million viewers per event, what was it for City Everton, something like 800,000, 900,000 on a Saturday afternoon isn't bad. Um, I think they're looking at about 14 or 15 million, I think, the last the last kind of estimate I heard. Um, so it's growing the game off, you know, off the, off the field or at home, if you like. Um, you know, it is giving it exposure. Um, I haven't really had heard much in terms of comments from new fans coming to the game, really. But obviously, you know, the people are watching it, so, you know, it, it must be doing something good. Um, the downside is obviously the crowds. I don't think the crowds are as big as what they should be. Um, I know we're kind of trying to lean on COVID as, a, as one factor for it, but 
Um, yeah, I think the bottom line is that the crowds have been a little bit disappointed. I think, um, what was it, 1,000 or just over 1,000 at City on Saturday. Um, but then, you know, in, in fans' defence, it, it's, you know, kickoff time, half 11 is absolutely bizarre. I think I'm the only person in the world who likes the half 11 Saturday kickoff. But yeah, you know, if you're on that or if you're on the, the 6.45 on a Sunday, um, it's not great from a, a, a kind of match day perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, the deal's doing a lot of good stuff for the game. Obviously, it's bringing money in, so you can't knock it. But um, I just hope that clubs do enough to be able to market the game to get fans through the gates. Yeah, it is definitely. And I kind of, I kind of feel as though it, as well at the moment, a lot of the fans that we should be targeting are maybe from sort of the men's game, if you like, making that transition over to the women's game. We've we've got the families there, you know, that, you know, and then the loyal fans that turn in week out, week, week in, week out. But there's a certain sort of fan that we kind of can't really attract to the women's game. And it would be great to to see some of those fans give the women's game a bit of a chance as well. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a few things. I think some clubs have been um, informed about the ticketing strategy. I think some fans are saying that some clubs make tickets difficult to get hold of, and I think some some supporters clubs have had issues with um, you know fans buying tickets in bulk and that sort of thing, or downloading e-tickets. And yeah, I think the ticketing thing's something to look at. Um, I think signage as well is another thing which has been a, a a bit of a groan to the FA about in terms of you know I think the Lee Sports Village is one of them where if you go you don't know there's a women's game on because it's not it's not well advertised around the ground. Um, so that's something they're looking at. But yeah, I think you know there's there's probably certain elements within the men's game that we can try to attract. Um, I don't know how good the advertising is out there to pull people in or you know, in, t- in terms of what the kind of incentives clubs are using and bring people in. Um, but I think you're kind of right in terms of there's a certain a certain kind of fan base that we probably won't be able to convert, the people who kind of won't watch the game and they won't kind of sample it. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of collective good work which needs to be done, and I think we're probably quite a way away from it at the minute. Um, but hopefully the Euros is going to help boost things as well. Yeah, kind of looking ahead to that tournament, though, it is going to be a massive sort of opportunity, really, especially to have it on home soil as well. And we obviously we see from, you know, from France, from, you know, other tournaments gone by where, you know, you do attract a new sort of audience that brings those fans to the games as well. Yeah, I mean, it'd be an absolute dream if we could create here in England what we saw in Holland four years ago. I mean, the Dutch fans have adopted the women's game as their sport, obviously, on the back of its success. Um, you know, they seem to fall in love with it. The minute it was awarded to the Netherlands to host that tournament, you know, they, they followed that into the World Cup as well. Um, so it would be great if kind of England embraced it as a nation. And, you know, we saw seas of red and white throughout the tournament and, you know, hopefully we'd do really well with it. But, um, you know, it sounds like ticket sales are going really well across the board. I think the France games and it might be Belgium as well. I think Belgium might play at City, actually. Um, but I think the games at the Academy Stadium are going to be quite well attended by the looks of it. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we're going to get some good interest from across Europe. 
Yeah, definitely. We're looking forward to it as well. And um, especially because we've had that way, have that extra year away <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, it, really excited to, to get that here. And, and like you said, there's some fantastic games that are going to be hosted at Lee and, and the Academy Stadium as well. And, and not forgetting everywhere else that, are, you know, are, are going to play host to some magnificent ties. I think, you know, some of them, there's some really good tie, early ties in there in the groups as well. Yeah, I think you look at, I think, is, is it the Dutch group where they've got Sweden? Obviously, that'll be fantastic. Um, you know, you've got that German Germany and Spain group. Again, a bit of a group of death. Obviously, we know Denmark in that group got to the final the other year against all odds. Um, and then, obviously, everybody's going to be watching for Serena in England. Um, you know, and I, and I think they've got every chance as well. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really, really exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, let's just hope everybody comes out for it and gets behind the team. Yeah, definitely. So let's move on to the magazine then, FAWSL full time. How's it going? What's in the latest episode? Uh, in the latest episode, that's my podcast brain. <laughs> latest latest uh, edition of the magazine. Yeah, we're out with November's edition at the minute. Um, bit on the Euro drawing there. Obviously, we have every club covered as we do every month. Plenty on England. Um, so, yeah, if, if you'd like a copy, just um, follow us on Twitter at FAWSLFT and, um, you know, we'll sort you out with a copy. Um, we'll be bringing bundles out as well for Christmas with all the um, the editions from this year as well at a, a knockdown price. So, again, if you just watch out for us on, on social media, you'll be able to find details of that. Brilliant, Dan. It's always great to chat to you. Thank you ever so much for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me appreciated and uh hopefully we'll catch up in uh 2022 <laughs> yeah, definitely. City a little bit higher up the table as well yeah hopefully <laughs> fingers crossed everything crossed for that one but uh yeah I, ca- I kind of feel like you said this this time up until Christmas now is is really important for City in terms of getting the results especially in the league uh, we really need to capitalise on these upcoming oppositions that we've got. We should be able to go out, get the win, bridge that gap, and then hopefully we'll look a bit stronger come the new year. Yeah, County Cup as well. Obviously, you know, probably you only need, well, we, you know, one game left, so one result. And uh, obviously you're going to be in the heart for the quarterfinals as well. So, you know, still something to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Just got to focus, focus on the positives. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Dan, thank you ever so much, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Emmett. Thanks. Hi, I'm Esme Morgan, and you're listening to MCW Fancast. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks to Dan for joining me on this week's show. Always a pleasure to welcome him back to the podcast. Uh, Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Also, thanks to Charlotte, who's on editing duties this week. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks after the international break. Uh, We'll be looking ahead to the next game, which will be against Birmingham. Off the top of my head, I'm just trying to find a calendar. I can't find one, Uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Birmingham. And uh, yeah, that'll be played away. So another opportunity to pick up points for City and pick up some pace in the Women's Super League. Take care, everyone. 